0: Mutation's listeners. So I have a great episode for you today with Henry Andrews that uh, I'll be playing for you in a moment, but uh, I wanted to do a proper introduction for this episode, um, mainly because of the context around it. Uh, Basically, Henry and myself uh, have had a wonderful conversation about what he calls hella metamodernism. And uh, as you'll hear, this is not something that Henry has merely invented or came up with, but as he describes, uh, kind of discovers through this interesting process. And he's been working with the Warm Data Labs and Nora Bateson. um, And this is sort of writing off of previous conversations we've had through the mutations community on uh, Patreon, as well as uh, Henry's presentation during the uh, 2021 Gepser Conference on Claire Graves. And I really like Henry's work. He's He's working on trying to decolonize Claire Graves' work, uh, presenting uh, what has been fairly understood to be a, a, a kind of directional map, right, through spiral dynamics and Don Beck, et cetera. There's a direction to that process and and, and that map of the evolution of consciousness. Uh, Henry's been working with it in a nonlinear way and and, and reading uh, into Graves, I think, in, in a very interesting way in, in, in a way similar to what I'm doing with Gebser, um, perhaps the non-linearities that are present in, in Graves' original work, uh, more present than they've been uh, articulated by other theorists. So really appreciate Henry for uh, for all of this kind of work. But um, Hill Metamodernism came up in this context of uh, discussing this tension that Joe Lightfoot has brought up between uh, what you would call the systems poets and uh, in Joe Lightfoot's liminal web mapping of all of these different communities and podcast hosters and uh, sort of community organizers, uh, the liminal web puts me somewhere around systems poets, whatever that might mean, thinking about systems and complex systems, but perhaps with a poetic element to their work. Uh, Nora Bateson, somewhere up there. And meta theorists are another sort of concentration. And while this is a sort of playful demarcation between these different kind of centers of gravity in our communities, uh, it's also very helpful to think about in the sense that uh, there are different emphases uh, uh, in our community. Those who are really gravitating towards meta-theory, very intellectual and uh, very systemic approaches to talking about social transformation and understanding it. And then there are those of us who are perhaps a little bit less... um, uh, trusting of such meta disciplines to to exhaustively describe what's going on, that there's something else that's needing to be integrated or um, rendered into in, in, into a kind of relationship, an active relationship with. So uh, what does this mean? Well, example, Nora Bateson's Warm Data Labs, uh, or the recent article that Henry and I talk about, uh, where Nora Bateson is talking about a Uh, the way in which these invisible forces coalesce towards vitality, right? We can't totally map those out. We can't exhaustively map those out. Um, But those processes are nonetheless at work in and with and through us. We are in relationship with them. These contexts, which contextualize us, which allow us to produce perhaps innovations of thought and, and new culture, which allow an ecosystem to be what it is and do what it does. So how do we incorporate, in some sense, the invisible and render it visible without our maps becoming totalizing and without that well-worn phrase, the map is not the territory? Can it be possible that uh, theory can approximate art and poetry and vice versa, Because like Henry, I find myself kind of in between those two. So what would a meta-theoretical approach or a meta-modern approach towards uh, uh, the sort of poetic and artistic and experiential and perhaps even participatory um, recognition, uh, what would that look like? So we explore that. And I bring all this up, not to just repeat what the conversation goes into. I think you'll very much enjoy it, but actually to bring up some context that happened around the publication of this episode, um, a discussion just last night uh, on the STOA of Peter Lindbergh, uh, Tyson Yonka-Porta, Daniel Schmachtenberger, uh, I think Jordan Hall, uh, and uh, Jake Ruiz, oh, and Jim Rutt uh, on their recent video. Uh, uh, Say, I think it's about 20 minutes long. It's a film. Uh, mostly developed by 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 Jake, uh, which which is kind of an introduction to Game B, and it's playing with the kind of uh, pixelated aesthetic and. And it, it's an artistic rendition or expression of all of these principles that Game B is talking about. And in the end, it kind of imagines a regenerative future of decentralized meshworks, and we're going planetary, then really kind of an, a, a nice um, image, right? Um, and it uses different metaphors to talk about it. So it's kind of meant to be an introductory, gamified, mythologized expression of what Game B is talking about. And although, you know, I, there may be, for me and some of the the folks in the mutations community have kind of hashed this out a bit, uh, some of the differences and, and maybe uh, critiques of the actual film itself, um, overall, I didn't find it to be that um, um, disagreeable. Whereas for myself, and this is something Henry and I will talk about in this episode, um, in the past, I have found uh, the tendency to reify uh, mental and intellectual abstractions as as a way of sense-making, as sense-making in general, as a path to social transformation to be not just problematic, but in some ways sort of disconnected from this more embodied participatory uh, mode of thinking and being in the world that, that I'm certainly emphasizing through my work with Gebser and, and Henry's work with Graves and, and Henry's work with um, all the different uh, sort of experimental, open-ended practices uh, that you'll hear about in, in this episode. So there's that tension. This video drops. Uh, the discussion yesterday, by the way, Tyson Porta was also on there. Um, and I want to bring this up because Tyson uh, just playfully brings up a very po- important point about the video, that you know perhaps this is in the context of white... Um, tech-centered, um, more secular-oriented uh, Westerners, uh, this video is appropriate for them to be framing things this way. Um, and he brought up this interesting observation about Game B and Game B communities that their relationship with art uh, in the past, up until this video, maybe this video is a good indication of that changing, uh, has been uh too, too trepidatious, too uh, resistant or reticent to really engage with the artistic process. But as Tyson mentions, you have to engage with the artistic process with creativity. There's a liminal space in which something emerges in that in that creative participation. That, as Marshall McLuhan understood, uh, is the is the way in which societies discover and rediscover themselves. And even in the video. Um, the Stoa talk. Uh, as, as Tyson was mentioning, that there, there's been this reticence to engage with art and creativity and perhaps aesthetics as, as anything more than a kind of um, instrumentality to promote a particular worldview or, or um, a general body of, 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 of analysis or systems of thought. Uh, even with this video moving into the artistic, the discourse around it from Hall and Schmachtenberger, et cetera. Again, I have no personal, necessarily personal gripes. Uh, but, but what seems to have been missing was a, was a recognition of art as a co-constituting mode of engaging with the real, of engaging with what is emerging, perhaps even more so than the analytical and the sense-making in, in that sense of sort of organizing how things are working, right? And getting a, an assessment of it, standing apart and understanding all the moving pieces. Um, this is a very kind of modern move, right? Uh, but to get into it, to get into the thick of it, right? To involve ourselves in that process is really what art is asking us to do. And I think folks like Gene Gepser um, kind of stand out as a bit of an anomaly in this sense of being macro-historical, a macro historical thinker who nevertheless is quietly again and again affirming that you do have to step into that liminal space uh, for something to emerge, for uh, a, a genuine initiation as Tyson mentioned, you know the the video the art video is called an initiation into game b for a genuine initiation to occur there has to be some kind of risk involved and as long as we think we can take sense making with us into this liminality between you know as as um here's here's my kind of um, bold statement um as azack sign talks about the time between worlds right if we're stepping into that realm sense making is not the tool that that will bridge the gap between the known and the unknown and what's emerging, something else more felt, something else more experiential has to be a co-constitutive of this process. Um, and so that's that's sort of my, in a nutshell, my, my issue with uh, the, the, the discussion around this video, this, this work of art or an attempt of a, a work of art. Is it propaganda or is it art? That was brought up as well, but um, that creativity and art itself are co-partners in the shaping of our reality, of our world, of the world that is to come and that is latent in us in terms of this transformation of culture and consciousness and this crisis that we're in, that we have to get involved in it somehow. And that art is typically the place where that occurs. And so rather than seeing art as a kind of window dressing or a kind of flair or flavor of the meat that is the intellectualizing and the mentation and the systems thinking, um, no, it's it's something that's an has an equal part to play. And in fact, without, we end up reifying certain um cultural attitudes and practices that keep us decontextualized or dis. Disassociated from what's actually happening, right? How do we embody it? We have to embody it, and perhaps as the the, the biggest critique I've, I have, and perhaps share with uh, Henry of, of, of the Game B folks, not so much this vision of a regenerative future, um, uh, but but the the way in which we we learn to become that that awkward place of tension of becoming regenerative, that awkward place of tension of, of, uh, Andreas Weber calls it the decolonizing of the West. Uh, that's a very awkward place to be. Speak of meta-modern, right? That's an experiential place to, to inhabit and a, and a place of tension and strangeness and uncanniness where we, uh, where, where the, the things that we don't want to have an ego death are going to have uh, be undergoing an ego death, as it were. Um, and by that I mean again, sense making, et cetera. Um, so can we really step into the liminal in that sense in that way? Um, can practices like what Henry talks about with hella metamodernism become embodied, participatory, Bridges that are open-ended, right, that are processual and it co-informed by the participants, where the map and the territory are the sort of swirling, co-informing relationality that uh, don't paint the whole picture, but actually have the whole picture withdrawn a little bit, right? They talk about an object-oriented ontology. Things are a little shy, right? Reality never exhaustively reveals itself. Uh, perhaps not even the mechanisms of social transformation and change, right? Of our own consciousness mutations. Um, that there's always something that al- that's a little bit hidden, and that we do have to stick a foot out into the dark and take that step, and not really be sure where we're going, in order to get anywhere, right, in order to make any kind of movement. Um, I hope all of this is making sense. Um, the, the the primary, I think, muse for this episode is Afana Poesis from Nora Bateson, and I'm hoping to have Nora on this year to talk about that article. Um, and, and and really kind of what I'm sensing here with with Henry's work and uh, with the book project that I'm working on presently is, is not shying away uh, from this sort of strange hybridization of systems poet metatheorist, but actually leaning into that to allow our systems uh, and and our our conceptualizations, to allow our thinking to be informed by our poetics, by our aliveness, by our participation, and not the other way around necessarily. Um, That sounds very interesting to me. And I think this is where we begin to get a sense of Again, Henry's work with Claire Graves uh, and the ways of knowing. Um, my own work with Gepser and these these um, senseful enactments of the different structures. Gepser's word is "senseful," "sensefully aware" is how he describes going meta, right? Going integral. Uh, nothing to do necessarily with uh, kind of big picture of the big pictures but something that undercuts or moves adjacent to or is side real to any of those approaches and those approaches would be better informed by uh, this kind of liminal um, going meta or going integral uh, however we would like to call it so anyway all of that is swirling in my head and in my heart and uh, i hope that you enjoy this episode with henry i certainly did and I hope this is also an invitation if you're listening to this uh, and you're in the Game B community and you're in the metamodern spaces to, to talk more about this because I do think this is an important conversation. And to the degree that we can catch ourselves in these new countercultural spaces, um, to the degree that we can catch ourselves uh, reifying certain patterns and structures of thinking becoming decontextualized again and again um, having these broad visions that are kind of saying the right words but but are lacking this um, turn towards embodiment and meta linking in terms of okay well this community is doing this fragment of what we're talking about and this community is doing another fragment how do we assist those how do we how do we relate them to each other right um, that is a form of embodiment that I feel is very often missing in the these countercultural spaces, which tend to be very heady and systems thinking oriented and intellectual oriented, um, but require something as simple as just acknowledging that art is entangled in the kinds of thinking that they're imagining it may only be window dressing of, right? Or uh, a nice um, uh, uh, a nice little piece of leaf placed on the top of the meat, right? Um, art is not that art is far more entangled in thinking and thinking far more entangled in art. And there's plenty of writers who talk about this from Leonard Schlein to Gepser to William Irwin Thompson to, um, Marshall McLuhan, right? Uh, so I'd like to see more of that. And I would like to see a matured space that is really leaning into this mediational place between art and, um, uh, not just science, but thinking philosophy, etc. um, and the traditions that are doing that. So here's to that, and uh, here's to hopefully you enjoying this conversation with Henry Henry Andrews on hella meta modernism and different paths to going meta. So thank you very much for listening, and I will hopefully be with you again next Wednesday for another episode. <laughs> okay so here we are welcome to episode 27 of mutations podcasts and i am pleased to be joined by henry andrews and henry is a self-taught gravesian theorist whose interests include examining the theory with a critical eye uh, searching for applications beyond those popularized through spiral dynamics and you are currently developing an embodied conversational ritual based on gravesian patterns and other concepts um This present, uh, just in terms of us talking together today, we wanted to kind of begin with something you're developing right now called hella metamodernism. And so you've also been very involved in the metamodern circles and discussion spaces. So uh, why don't we kind of segue into what exactly hella metamodernism is, and, and maybe you can give the listeners a sense of how that's related to Nordic metamodernism and all the other metamodernisms that are
1: floating around. Indeed. Indeed. All right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thanks for having me here. So, yeah, um, hella metamodernism. Uh, it started as a joke um, <laughs> when I was, I, you know, there had been this hella meme joke that was from an art project that had nothing to do with all of this, actually, that I, I did with some friends a while back. Um, but since it fit with metamodernism and metamemes, I joked about hella metameme a couple of times. Um, and then I made this, I was talking with someone about hella, modern, about metamodernism, and I just impulsively made this, hella metamodernism is the California school of metamodernism. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, there's the thing about Californians saying hella a lot. Uh, Cause it's just hella metamodernism. It's got a great ring to it. And it, 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 it sounded funny. And then I started t- typing up some comments of like, oh, it does this and it does this. And then I was like, oh wait, this is a thing, uh, okay. I guess I should like actually develop this because it actually feels like a real thing. Um, so yeah, uh, I I'm keeping the name Hella Meta Modernism because it's difficult to say with a straight face, uh, and I really like that. I think that we all get a little too caught up in our own seriousness a lot of the time. Uh, so something that that you know makes us smile to even talk about it is uh, is is pretty amusing to me. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how it started and the things that have emerged there. Uh, and I really do feel like I'm discovering and naming something and that that's what I want to be doing rather than like trying to construct something, uh, if that makes sense. Like I'm not trying to assert that this is a thing that needs to be out there. I'm trying to recognize something here that if we recognize it, we can work with it and make use of it more effectively of whatever's going on um so yeah i mean the key thing here is that you know the the nordic school is like the political and developmental school of metamodernism with hansi Freinacht, and then the dutch school is the is the um you know using these terms brent cooper i think came up with uh is 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 using these uh, uh, is is doing the cultural and artistic and architecture sort of description of what's going on and they were very much about what's emerging in arts and culture. So so they're very descriptive and the the nordic school is more activist and prescriptive. So I'm kind of trying to split the difference a little bit and the core concept is experiential. Like this this view I want to take is about experience. It's about experiencing things with others and the power of shared experience. Um, so that uh, is is focusing on something a little more active and animate than just observing the what other what, what's coming out of the, the art and culture and architecture. Um, but it's a little less of a push than political activism and trying to create a new politics. Uh, instead, I, I really want to tap into what are we experiencing in this time, in this cultural moment that we're, we're going through right now? Uh, how can we experience things together in a way that takes us to a better place culturally and, and, and personally? Uh, and then there are various things that kind of fall from that and various things that I'm kind of relying on, like Norbert's and Um uh, that are related to that, but fundamentally I want it to be the experiential school of metamodernism.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, uh, what makes it the California school? Is, is it merely based on location in terms of where you're located and kind of tuning in, into the conversation from, or are there something uniquely Californian perhaps
1: about, about hella metamodernism? I mean, there's, there's partially it's because, yeah, I'm in San Francisco and, 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 That's kind of where the hella meta joke came from in the first place. Um, So that's partial, and and the fact that we call these things the Nordic and Dutch schools, um, based on where the people who who put them out are. Uh, So it's it's partially that. It's also relevant in the sense that it draws a lot on um, the local San Francisco Bay Area, um, interactive and immersive art scene. Uh, There's really been an experiential art underground, I guess, uh, here for the last several decades. Um, It's something that I've been very involved in for the last, I guess, seven years now, six or seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that is a thing, that is another major, major influence on how I am looking at this. Like the fact that that has been the emerging art form here um, you know, where that's that's been kind of where I feel the, the cultural energy here in the Bay Area. Uh, I think that it is a metamodern art form or, or at least it can be. Um, uh, you know, a lot of it is about creating these actual, you know, deep and in some sense sincere shared experiences, but often through a lot of ironic, um, surface in terms of how we're playing with things and like what the, what the story setup is or what the characters are like, like a a lot of that draws on, on language of irony and not taking ourselves too seriously. And yet it is also sincere and you get into that sincere irony aspect of, of metamodernism. So, so yeah, um, uh, I, yeah, that's kind of the, the other thing that really grounds it in California. Um. Yeah, and my friend wrote a wrote a book on that. Can I can I shamelessly promote that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um so this is caveat magisters. Whoops, it's all mirrored. Um, Turn Your Life into Art, Lessons in Psycho Magic from the San Francisco Underground. Uh I'm quoted in it. I show up in the background of another story. So there's there's some self promotion there. Um, but it it um it's it's the easiest way to kind of get a handle of what I mean by all of that.
0: Um are there uh maybe some, some illustrations or examples either from that book or, or concrete examples you might want to, to share to sort of illustrate this, this sort of California feeling that sort of you're, you're describing, but also prescribing. I, I really like this sort of straddling between the sort of system poet and meta theory approach, as you're yeah. saying, like descriptive Nordic, uh, de- yeah, descriptive Nordic school, or, um, what do you call it? A uh, Dutch school and then, um, and, and vice versa. So like, it's kind of in between there, but I think some kind of illustration or example would be very yeah. interesting here.
1: Yeah, so I have mostly worked as part of a group called The Mystic Midway, uh, led by Scott Levkoff and behind the scenes and also performer Marty Kaplan. Um, uh, there's actually a video of of them giving a talk at UX Week 2016 that you can find on Vimeo. Um, we can put a link somewhere uh, for that, that, that talks about how this all works and, and shows some slides uh, because we ended up doing the opening night party for that conference uh, and it went, went really well. So what happens in the Mystic Midway, in a Mystic Midway event, is there's some space uh, and it's been everything from like part of a larger event like the Edwardian ball that happens here every year, you know, before COVID. Um, where there's a lot of different art and other things going on. A lot of people wandering around in costumes uh, or sometimes we do it as more of a standalone thing. When we did that for the UX Week conference, it was in a um, food truck food court uh, <laughs> over, over, over near, near kind of one of the cultural bar district areas. Uh, and we, we had just set up in there and we kind of take that over in the evening. And what happens is there'll be a bunch of characters wandering around the space um, and the characters will and you'll interact with the characters they'll ask you to do different things and they'll offer you something called story currency so it's we've usually printed up something that looks it's recognizably currency but it's also recognizably not real currency um the Edwardian ball one is very elaborate and we had one when we were doing the food court it was more of a like really brightly colored video game look um so people even if we haven't explained it to them, people understand money as a script. Like they know that they're supposed to want to get the money. So if you, if you just, if you're a character and you hold up money they want to know how to get it, like you don't have to explain to them that. So then you ask them for like some little bit of a story or something to do. So we have whimsical, magical and terrible characters and whimsical characters will ask you to like do a, make up a dance on the spot. Um, a magical character might ask you about what was the last time you felt magic in nature? for example. Um, and then a terrible character, and I usually play one of these, might ask you about a failure um, or a fear. Actually, this is this is the hat of the goblin who rewards failure. <laughs> it's a failure of a hat because um, I stood up in the green room, which was a school bus, and smushed it against the ceiling and decided it fit the character. So you just get asked something like about a failure, and depending on, like, the, um, depending on the, um, what kind of audience it is, we'll, we might make that a very light question. Like give me one word about your failure. So people aren't like, Oh my God, what are you asking me for? You know, on the other hand, if we're doing this at Burning Man, we'll go like all in. Cause people are there to have deep, crazy experiences. So, you know, we'll we'll just ask that open-ended and see where it goes. And it's amazing because people will tell you things. People are waiting for this chance to say something more significant um to share more of themselves and something that's really important and really ties into other aspects of hella metamodernism is you'll have people going through together and they're interacting with the characters side by side so they witness each other um and scott talks about this in that that presentation that i i mentioned so they'll they'll witness each other and they'll they'll experience what each other have to share um and that can be a really powerful thing i mean i've had even in a corporate gig, I've had people come back when I was playing Mr. Nobody who eats fears and he's got a big skull. Like it's literally a huge plastic skull. It's got a hinged jaw so you can make it eat fears, uh, come back with like a fear they really needed to tell Mr. Nobody, um, that they didn't, they didn't do it before, but they were like, no, I have to go tell this random guy in a skull this deep fear that I'm feeling. And I'll make a ceremony of, of eating the fear. And, you know, they'll tell me that it helped. Um, and that's so powerful, right? It's it's something that people aren't even necessarily expecting to see. Um, like I said, this this can happen even in a corporate gig, where again, that would be one where we're not trying to dive super deep because we don't want to freak people out with their coworkers. <laughs> you know, usually we'll ask the whole. There'll be like a team that comes through, and we'll just anyone on the team can answer the question. And everybody doesn't have to answer the question. You know, so it's, there's a lot of like making sure that this is. A consensual play, and if someone doesn't want to play, they don't have to play, because if you have to play, it's not play. Um, so, so yeah, these this is the kind of experience that this 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 prompt, this inquiry, this permission allows to happen. And and the last point I'll make on this before pausing, like it's really important, and I've seen this through several different things, um, uh, not just the the Mystic Midway. Um, it's really important that it's an open-ended prompt. And that people have the freedom to take that where they want to go, because then they'll take it to the place they need to go. And it might not be what you expected if you tried to if you try to put more walls on it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. I um, I, I'm kind of delighted that we're going in this direction and, and talking about this right off the bat, because um, part of our mutual navigation through this space has been um, uh, navigating a lot of different thinkers who are talking about systems change or social transformation or social evolution. Right. And a lot of these theories and approaches and communities are basing that social change off of these very abstract categorical maps about, you know, moving to different historical epochs. And, and we're all kind of as our, as uh, you know, some of the contexts you spoke at the Gebser society and talked about Claire Graves, who, um, went on to influence spiral dynamics, of course, and integral theory. Uh, So so that's certainly kind of part of our, 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 our cultural context. And here you're having a conversation about so many interesting layers here about permission to bring out these different aspects of the psyche through these kind of performative persona that's ironic and sincere and playful and it it has that meta modern context, but it's being illustrated just by, you know, what's going on in culture. Like, how are you performing this? How is this sort of a, how can this be artistically and creatively expressed in culture while we're also talking about, maybe we're also talking about something descriptive about social transformation or an evolving sensibility in culture that we can kind of descriptively map. Um, So I'm really kind of interested in, Kind of as, as we segue into some of the other the other themes here, um, some of these tensions, right? Like, and maybe you can speak a little bit to these tensions that you've brought up online before. Um, if if you feel okay with talking about that whole Daniel Schmachtenberger exchange, but as <laughs> as an illustrative context, speaking of illustrative like examples, things that just happen, right? In our,
1: in our yeah, kind of, yeah no, exchange,
0: very- it's, it's sort of interesting. Yeah,
1: it, it is. I mean, on the whole, it was actually rather delightful. Um, so yeah what happened is scout leader wiley posted a quote of daniel schmachtenberger's and now i can't actually remember exactly what it was it might have been something like emergence is the closest thing to magic allowed by science or that will the will recognize something like that and i went to i went to heart it and then i saw that it was a quote from daniel schmachtenberger and and some friends of mine and i who talk about all these these sorts of things a lot like there's because Schmachtenberger is ubiquitous in the sense making scene and and uh you know to some de- like I agree with a lot of what he says, but as got mentioned in this thread, you know, to some degree I feel like like when people kind of like, oh, you have to see this thing, I, I end up feeling like it's a little overhyped. You know, I go and watch it I'm like, okay, that's fine, but I don't know why it was such a big, big deal. Um, so, so I made the joke in the in a comment like oh, I really want to heart this, but I'm allergic to Daniel Schmachtenberger. Um And Scott was like, oh, really interesting, why? Which she does, she'll turn, she'll turn around and, and, and ask me something serious about some dumbass joke I made. And I'm like, oh, I got to answer this now. So I, I, I said basically what, what I just said here. And someone's like, hey, I think he's really important because he's an entry point for, you know, people like me who've come in. And this led to an actual good conversation on Facebook. It <laughs> still happens. Um, you know, where where I was like, yeah, it's, you know, I don't, I don't think he's horrible. I don't think you're an idiot for liking what he has to say. Um, you know, just because I'm not super into the guy's content doesn't mean that I, you know, I think all these horrible things. Um, you know, it's just, it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not blowing me away the, sa- the same way it seems to be others. And I, I feel like, you know, the vitality is somewhere, somewhere else. So then Daniel Schmachtenberger shows up. <laughs> And, and is actually quite gracious about it, um, uh, and asked the question of, so you know, what do you think a healthy um, a healthy uh, community around a, a public figure looks like versus an unhealthy community? Because we kind of touched on that earlier. And the next morning, because by that by the time he actually showed up and commented, I was too tired. I was like, I'm not doing this now. The next morning, I talked about how um, I wrote about the difference between people talking about a figure and about their ideas. And if you engage with that, you talk mostly about the ideas. And yeah, of course, about the the person who said them because there's context and that's relevant, but you're mainly able to talk about the ideas and is this a good idea or is this a bad idea? So, you know, I could probably have a conversation with that guy who was like, oh, I think Schmachtenberger is actually important and we could probably talk about which ideas he thinks are important and we could probably find some ideas that he's like, yeah, I'm not even that into that and it would be okay. On the other hand, and I did not mention this dread name because I did not want to attract the conversation that it always does. If you talk to many people about Jordan Peterson, you are only really allowed to talk about whether Jordan Peterson is a great man or not. I mean, everything folds back into the question of of like, well, but why are you you hate him? Because you're this and he's that. And like, you can't you can't get away from that vortex of 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 obsession. Right. (laughs) So, um, and it's, it's, it becomes a very dissociated online fight. And yeah, so this might've wandered a bit far away from, from where you wanted to go with that, but, um, that's kind of like, kind of where it ended up as this actual positive exchange. And Daniel thanked me for that answer of, um, you know, said it, said it was useful, uh, around that, you know, question of, of, of health there. So yeah, like, I I don't, you know, I do feel that there's something interesting in why a lot of people find Schmachtenberger compelling versus others of us don't. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the that's kind of what I'm trying to um, hone in on myself and and sort of feeling into that, because uh, I've just noticed a lot of your reactions in, in our circles tend to be of a similar kind to my own reactions in terms of being sent like being constantly sent John Verveki videos, and again, yeah. nothing personally against any of these individuals. Um, uh, they mostly I, have interesting
1: ideas. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but just the kind of hype that that seems to constellate or or surround or, or the aura of hype that seems to surround these yeah. individuals, and then why? Like that's one thing, and then the other layer is kind of our own sort of dissonance with that, like. Mm-hmm not my cup of tea. Well, why isn't it our cup of tea? You know, and maybe we have different reasons for that, but I kind of was looking forward to just exploring that with you in terms of like, is it, is it, um, now like what I threw in, in, in my notes to you was, is this, is it because of this sort of overemphasis on like game theory and tech discussions and tech solutions and and sense making kind of as a reified sort of narrative or construction right right is there a kind of fetishization of of a a particular style of thinking that just rubs us the wrong way because maybe you and I are more on the kind of artistic creative um, um what's going on sort of spontaneously in culture rather than kind of here's a a way or a style of thinking that we can apply to culture to make sense of yeah. it right like uh, there's something in here that i think is is important to kind of tease out
1: there is yeah yeah and you know and it's interesting because i, I don't remember if this has ever actually come up before but my actual professional background is as a software engineer so you know you, you know i have a 20 plus year career in software okay yeah I,
0: I don't think that's come up before in, in our yeah, context so of conversation I mean, that,
1: so that was my degree. I moved out to to Silicon Valley in 1997 during the first dot com era. And I mean, I'm kind of trying to run away from that career, having kind of burnt myself out on tech. Um, <clears throat> uh, but um, but no, that's actually my background. So, you know, on the one hand, you'd think that I'd be all into this tech centered conversation, but actually I'm, I'm kind of burnt out on that, um, which is why I kind of ran off and joined the mystic midway when i had the opportunity to do so um so so yeah yeah there's a there's a lot there and i think i think it it does get into the the sense making aspect um i mean i i have at this point kind of an impulse of just stop making sense like stop trying to make sense the world doesn't actually make sense we should just deal with that like Engage with it. Um, so kind of the more people try to to get control over what's going on in the world by through this 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 concept of sense making and like convince themselves that they understand what's going on in the world. Like the more I have a bit of a reaction against or I'm like, oh, OK, I I don't think that's how that how things really work anymore. Um, Right. I mean, we have been through, if we want to talk about the historical sweep, we've been through the enlightenment and the age of reason and rational empiricism. And I was on Twitter the other day, which I don't usually do, but have been convinced to check on every once in a while recently. Um, And uh, someone had a tweet of what does believe in, what does believe science, believe in science even mean? And I replied something like it it means that the age of rational discourse as our central way of doing things is over because like believe in science, this doesn't even make any damn sense, right? It's like we have reached the point where science is this talisman that we like wave at things to make them go away Um, and people just pick the science that, that they want. So you know, in the face of something like that, when we have people being like, "Okay, but if we sense make harder, this will all make sense," you know, I'm just kind of like, I don't actually think so. Um, I think that uh, I think that if if we're not if we're not engaging with the fact that a lot of this complexity doesn't make sense, I think if we're if we're not engaging with the fact that there's a lot of emotional intuitive stuff that I mean, yes. I'm sure since making is not purely analytical, mental, someone's going to point me to something where Schmachtenberger talks about embodiment because I believe he does at times. So mm-hmm. let me just acknowledge that. Sure, yeah. You. But the overall frame just feels so rational, analytical to me, and I just, I, I just have a rebellion against that internally.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what I kind of wanted to hit on um, with with uh, something we I think we mutually align on. So so. Yeah, I mean that's sort of the general question. Are these are these circles and the framing? Is it is it too analytical? Is it too intellectual? And what would that mean? I know there's a lot of discussion about going meta or meta thinking or metacognition, which often seems to imply like a a system of systems, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of the go-to. Let's organize all the different aspects of uh, of sense-making into this sort of meta-system to help us navigate the meta-crisis, right? So there's yeah, this kind yeah. of categorizing of category categories to help, like, transition through these times, right? Like, let's meta harder. And there's yeah. that one line, I think I mentioned this to us uh, in, in a previous, like, mutations call or something, but it's that Tim Morton line, anything you can do, I can do meta, has been the kind of MO of modernity, actually, to kind of go more abstract, right, To to to... Um, to enwrap everything in more conceptualization in order to understand it better right like yeah. sort of a hall of mirrors process so so that's the kind of sense I get on the one hand like I sympathize and I, I know as you're saying they talk about embodiment and different sort mm-hmm. of modes of sense making. I, I hear them talk about it Verveki's talking about a kind of cogsci interpretation yeah. of using psychedelics and altered states and like, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's it's there, but then there's also something that I, I sense is, isn't is quite there, right? It's kind of within yeah. this framework of this sort of hyper-intellectualism. Um, and I think that's always kind of, you know, feel free to chime in as well, but I feel that, that that is that sort of prevents these communities that are attempting to move into, let's say, the framework of like game A to game B. Um, mm-hmm. It prevents these communities from really looking at themselves in that more poetic, embodied human way or anthropological way, right? Where maybe it would be easier to kind of get a sense of, oh, we're coming from a techno-rationalist culture that is sort of suffused with libertarianism and certain economic ideologies, and we need to disentangle ourselves from that too. So, So I find that they kind of get tripped up with these very kind of, I don't know, my sense of going meta feels more, and I, I get this from you as well. Experiential, as you mentioned, yeah. participatory, embodied, um, as a as a place to begin rather than yeah. a place to land,
1: uh, right? Or so. step along the way somewhere. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. I think you're you're right that it is this kind of meta. There's the, the 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 meta frame is is very intellectual, right? So yeah, they've got spirituality and embodiment and emotion in there. They're not totally ignoring that. They're not being ultra rational robot types. Um, but there is this overall frame that feels a lot more mental, mental structure type of type of stuff. Um, and oh, i kind of lost my train of thought in there somewhere. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, just in terms of all of the meta things, it's 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 funny. After, I think it was Brandon Norgard's call that he had about, like, what is the integral and all of what is all of these things together? I can't remember if you were on that call, I think. Yeah. You yeah, were. I was. yeah. And I remember writing down some notes, um, you know, about that, uh, about things and, like, writing down you know, people talked about meta context and meta—you know—a lot of meta things. And I wrote down mega context, and I decided what this meant was like instead of the, instead of trying to construct this overarching like like you know Ken Wilber integral map of like we're gonna put all the developmental theories or anything that's vaguely similar to a developmental theory on one big chart and linearize it and like correlate them across. Like instead of doing that, where you're like trying to create this meta superstructure. Like just engage with all of whatever's going on in one giant scope. That would be the mega scope. Mm-hmm. I haven't done with this mega con- context idea. It just, it just, I wrote it down. And I was like, okay, I guess that's a thing. Um, and it, and it felt it felt better to me to think of it as like, okay, yeah, all of these things are here, and and we don't want to try to construct something over them because you get what we've talked about before, which is that. You know with wilbur's thing he linearized both gebser and graves neither of which are really putting out a totally linear system but because wilbur was correlating it with all these other linear systems okay well we have to we have to stretch it out we'll get rid of the cyclical stuff here we'll get rid of the kind of nonlinear structural unfolding that's going on and and it it it's limiting it's limiting and it and again it feels like a control structure um mm. Uh, like a way to get a handle on things, which obviously there's a utility in that. But again, I feel like I feel like looking for control structures in a world that's as as chaotic and confusing and in in transit, liminal, if we must say, <laughs> as as we are right now. Like that just doesn't feel like the right move to me on an intuitive level. It 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 feels like. You're inevitably going to miss things. You're inevitably going to exclude a bunch of of important things uh, by trying to trying to fit it into something that you can you can chart. So right, and I love right. parts. I love yeah, I mean, like... I mean,
0: they are fun, <laughs> um, and that that's part of what attracted me to to Wilbur and integral theory and 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 all the rest of it initially, which which was the the kind of coherence and the fun of, of seeing how things are all kind of connected or system- systemically connected um I, I think i think for me that the kind of lesson in that is the sense that uh these demarcations and delineations and how we order and systematize things can be a bridge to other or yeah. it can be a wall Right. And, mm-hmm. Or or it can be, as you say, like a system of control in the sense of like colonizing other, you know, spending yeah. Yeah. that rather than a bridge, it's sort of a destruction of the other or a subsuming of the other. And, and there's always that danger in working with those kinds of maps that we can't really ever get away from. So this this also leads me to um ironically, you know, Joe Lightfoot, our, our friend um mm-hmm. who wrote that the liminal web article. Um yeah. and, he kind of placed us in the sort of systems poets meta theorists arena, um, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily disagree with with that, um, but it does highlight or illustrate how um, I feel this way, and I, and I sense that you do as well. you describe this as well, that that we are kind of in this sort of you know appreciating meta theory, but also getting that hunch that okay this is yeah. not really exhaustively descriptive and in fact actually it's, to the contrary it might take away from our ability to understand what's present and what's going on and so like you and I have been sort of navigating that space and I and I empathize with the, with your work with trying to sort of decolonize Graves' yeah. work right um so maybe as a segue to this question I know you've been working with Nora Bateson's work and doing the warm data labs and mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious how that process for you has has affected your work with graves and in work with meta theory. You know, I mean, it's a really interesting space to kind of come in working with the meta theory and then doing the warm data labs and working with Nora's yeah. style of thinking. It really does a number on you.
1: It, um, it, it was it was pretty fascinating and and also something that I that I very much needed, um, right? Because so I was already you know, the, the, the diagram thing that is that I'm, I'm kind of using to try to build this conversational ritual, um, approach that is another side-by-side experiential thing, you know, that had kind of, that's a different way of visualizing kind of the, the cycles and patterns in Graves rather than the linear progression. Um, and that had that had emerged in summer of of, uh, of 2020, you know, kind of at the height of the pandemic. Um, and i had been trying to kind of work with that. And, you know, about a year ago, I realized, oh, I could do this sort of conversational ritual and working on that off and on. And then for various reasons, it's still kind of a kind of an ongoing thing to figure out. But I'd already so I'd already started, um, you know, trying to make this less linear, trying to focus on an experience and turning things into prompts. So like that's, that's kind of a key point here. Cause re- remember when I was talking about the mystic midway, like, Oh, it's important that these are open questions that they're prompts. Mm-hmm. And, and Scott Lefkoff the, 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 kind of visionary behind the mystic midway has some other things that he's working on that are, that are prompt based. So I'd incorporated that into what I was trying to use Gracie in theory for. More. So I was already working on that and starting to share that a bit more. Um, and then Nora had her, her stage theory is, is bullshit, always has been, is colonial as hell. And I was like, whoa, all right, this is a thing. So, you know, I jumped in there and I was like, but look, I've got my cool diagram. And She's like, okay, well, that's better. But, mm, you know, and we had some good, good discussions. And fortunately, she was teaching a warm data class a couple months later. Mm-hmm. So, so my friend Naomi, uh, who first introduced me to Spiral Dynamics, um, and I both took the, the class, which was really great. Um, uh, And it really dovetailed with what I was already trying to do and, and really nudged me to have more faith in letting the questions be open. I was getting very bogged down into like, oh, my God, how do I script this whole ritual so that people understand what they need to do and don't reject it and don't get too confused and don't take it in the wrong direction, whatever that means. Um and then warm data, it's such an open process with just the lightest touches towards what kind of like the prompts are so wide open of like what's emerging and the con and it's all about trans contextuality, but the context are things like politics and science and family and you know, there's these very broad concepts and you have the discussions with people and you might not, necessarily obviously talk about these things during the process, even though they're the things you were given. but probably by the time you've had, you've hit the end of your little time of with with you know that group and those those contexts, then it turns out you probably did talk about that somehow. Um, you know but but you don't go in being like all right, we have to hit this point we have, did, did we hit all three of our contexts? did we you know did, did we actually do we actually have a list of what's emerging? you know, to take back as a report. Like, you don't do that. You, you just let things flow. Um, and it was such a human experience. I mean, Naomi and I would talk about how we just like felt more optimistic about humanity after each class, you know, because we would, we would do a, basically a warm data or people need people is the online version, which is what we were really doing because, you know, pandemic. Um, so we would do a people need people during each each class and we would just be like, yeah, wow. This is so much more connection. This is so human. Um, so that was a and 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 Nora introduced the concept of a of during that class and published the paper on on Medium. You know, I think it's coming out in some conference proceedings at some point, but it's on Medium right now. Like either during or right after that class. So it was right when that was coming out. Um, so all of that was very much a oh yeah, I've been I didn't know I was looking for this. And it, it's very much giving me more confidence to just like, okay, do the prompts and see where it goes, and don't try to control it so much. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, aphantopoesis might be a good topic to lean into if if it's possible, right? Um, yeah. I, I'm still wrapping my head around around the article and 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 Nora's articulation of this, but but my sense is, and it's interesting because it shares etymologically a word. Um, aphanis from Greek with diaphany, which is important for right. Gepser's work as well. So my my curiosity was immediately piqued and just sort of interested in that sort of is there an intersection here? But, um, but yeah, like a aphanis, right? And then poesis and sort of creating, right? So so it was sort of like this relationship between the visible and invisible, and, and maybe you yeah. can help.
1: Yeah. That. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I definitely recommend reading the whole paper because it's great, but it's, you know, it's also dense and long and <laughs> medium's like 44 minute read. I'm like, Oh, that's might be the longest medium article I've seen. <laughs> uh, and um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it is about the unseen coalescing towards vitality I think is yeah. the, is, is, is the, the one-liner there, but but what does that mean? Right. And and Noah talks about insidious processes being a thing where, um, you're not necessarily noticing it, but things are slowly getting worse and worse and you might have some horrible effects emerge. And she asked the question of like, well, what's the opposite of that? Like, what's the word for for positive things that you might not be noticing that might coalesce and eventually emerge in, in some way? Um, and she coined a phanopoesis for that uh, because it is that unseen creative coalescing um, process that's happening. And it's not necessarily that you can't see the processes at all, but it's it's you're not likely to and it's hard to come at directly. (laughs) Um, And and for me, it's been very interesting because, I mean, again, I I started writing out what hella metamodernism was as a joke on a Facebook post um, and then started kind of being like, okay, well, I need to figure out what's going on. I came up, up with ambiguity because ambiguity it, it lets you preserve a lot of options. So, so when you're doing things that are ambiguous, you can react to how people react to them and, and keep going. Um, uh, and indirection, um, so not coming at things directly. So whether that's the side-by-side experience like we talked about in the Mystic Midway, or also the conversational ritual involves people sharing based on prompts, again, without without debating them, but but witnessing each other without having to, without having the burden of responding. Or being responsible for what the other person said, um, so that's indirection there, and 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 I realized, you know, going back and reading the whole paper top to bottom, um, as opposed to just having heard about it in class and like skimmed it, it's like, oh, this actually underpins a lot of those ideas, like ah, which itself is kind of an a, a poetic process of emergence, right? Like I had all these ideas from the Mystic Midway and from from you know. Reading about my the the scene that I'm part of in this book, and from Nora Bateson's Warm Data class, and those all kind of came together and coalesced, and then I realized, oh, this is this is emerging as this thing that I named Helle metamodernism. and that is a coalescence toward vitality of these things. And now, as I as I listen to what I've figured out subconsciously, then I'm discovering these things. Like remember, I said that I felt like I'm discovering this more than I am. Constructing it, um, right. so in that sense, it is an poetic process itself. Um, these things have come together. I didn't set out to create a new school of metamodernism. Um, you know, maybe like that—that—that that, that had sort of popped up as an idea in my head, kind of in the background, but it wasn't like something I was doing as a project. Um, but if I tried to set that up. Right. And this is to kind of show the difference between like what's a of voices and what's not a of voices, right? If I had a year ago said, all right, I know enough metamodernism. I should come up with my own metamodernism. Let me, you know, I would have gone and analyzed Hansi's work and, and, and the notes on metamodernism paper and, and other things and been like, okay, I want this and I want this, and I'm going to build this thing. And I probably would have kept more developmental theory because I know that stuff. and, and I would've constructed something and it might've been interesting, but it probably wouldn't have been what's emerging now um, because I would've been making choices. And what those choices often do is they limit the complexity. And Noir talks about this a lot in the paper is, is what we're trying to do is to preserve the complexity and preserve the options that the complexity can emerge in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, that's super powerful. And, and I feel like when we talk about ex- experience and shared experience, um, right, you know, if you have people wandering through the Mystic Midway, encountering characters, prompting them to do various things, where they have the option to respond to that however they want, including turning around and just noping the fuck out of there, which occasionally somebody does. and <laughs> had someone be like, I'm allergic to, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of skeletons and clowns. And like, here I am in Mr. Nobody, but the skull head and the clown. And I'm like, okay, we're going over here. <laughs> Hopefully like we kind of peeked our head. I was like, is he okay? okay he's with his friends. All right, fine. Um, you know, hopefully I had some other good experiences other than that, and, uh, but, you know, people are wandering around, they're having these conversations and, and, you know, maybe they plan on doing this, but since we're often at other people's events, maybe, probably not, um, if they didn't know we were going to be there, uh, and that might produce things in them and, and that might impact how they look at the world because, oh, they, they were asked about something they didn't realize how much they needed to share. Um, so I'm kind of rambling here, but, but like the idea is to, is to look at these things that openly, openly engage with whatever's actually present versus things that try to construct and assess and assert. Um, so like if I had asserted what the California school of metamodernism was, um, I would have closed down some things that might come up maybe I would have figured it out eventually. Like maybe that would have reemerged later. It's possible. Um, But you can definitely find situations where it's not. And if you go and you try to tell somebody like, okay, well, you should look in this direction, that's going to shut them down. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to recover from that, at least not in the context where you are. Um, So... So yeah i feel like it's a tremendously important concept um uh this idea that we have this ongoing complexity that's not entirely seen and that that um you can't you can't just go up and do something about it you can't go oh i'm gonna do the afanopoiesis now like that it <laughs> doesn't even make any sense right it's it's all about you, you, you did a thing and it's submerged into what, into the the stream of what's going on within you, within society, within Mm, whatever mm -hmm. living system we're talking about. And maybe that's going to emerge somewhere at some point, maybe not for a long time. You don't know, you don't try to control that.
0: Um, Yeah. 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 That's, um, it's a lot of interconnections with, with some of the themes that I think were implicit in, in Nora's work, uh, Previously, but just a like a, a wonderful expression of something, and, and it's sort of an again an illustration of sort of being in between um, the 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 systems theorist, right, the meta theorist, and then the systems poet, in the sense of it's giving a name to a process which extends beyond the name or the category's capacity to capture. Or yeah. even point to and say, oh, the map is not the territory, but here's the whole map. Here's, like, everything that's going on. But remember, the map's not the territory. It's not even saying that. It's kind of this, like you're saying, it's almost like a translucent, um, a gentle little word that just is, is, it's there and it's kind of um, um, redirecting attention to what's present right with with maybe some idea that hey there's an outside that you'll never totally grok or capture yeah and it's you're, you're part of it you contribute to it and there's processes which contribute to emergence poasis cultural evolution if we want to call it that yeah. right but they're not something mm-hmm. that we can totalize in our maps um right so so there's a different relationship i think with map making that a fauna poasis is sort of illustrating and i and i feel for me as well nora's work is is really hitting on this this um very interesting middle point between just being in this and then um allowing thinking allowing categories to have a smaller place in relationship with that like living complexity
1: does that make sense yeah yeah there's a there is a point in the paper where she's like this is this is not about new age surrender to everything i don't remember exactly how she said it but that's that's how it landed to me. Like it's it's not about just just surrender and don't don't do anything at all. Just like you know, detach from the world. It's not that, um but it's also not go in and do the stuff. Right. So so yeah, it's. I mean, I've I've this may or may not be a phrase in the paper. Quite likely, to, um, I've come to think of it more as tending to the complexity. Like you're you're tending to something that has its own its own direction and its own nature, and you're you are trying to you know in order to, to engage with this concept of a aphanopoesis. And like, just just as a caveat, like I I I do not speak for Dora here. I might be getting <laughs> some direction wrong here and there. But but my impression here is like to to engage with this concept like you want to tend to this complexity and respect it and there's a lot of listening to what's going on and and you know carefully doing things that seem like they are welcome um, and and accepting that you might not know what's going to happen so you're going to be doing more listening again and you're going to continue to tend to that. Um, and that that right now is the phrase that that sticks in my head of 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 how you how you engage with or make use of the idea of a phonopoesis, because again you can't just go in and do it. And this this comes up in the Turn Your Life into Art book too, where he's talking about psychomagic in the Yodorovsky sense of of like when you're trying to build an experiential art experience, you can't. You can't have a set of steps that like this happens and that happens and that happens and then they have a cool experience and there's magic and they're like whoo it's like no it doesn't it doesn't do that if you like you can have some steps that you do but like it has to be really flexible and you have to react to what's going on and like mostly you're just trying to create the conditions where someone might have an have a magical experience of some sort right yeah. like if I'm playing Mr. Nobody, the fear eater, and I ask people for fears, like some people are going to, a lot of people are going to say spiders. And a lot of them are going to say spiders because spiders is an, is a socially acceptable thing to be afraid of. Some people say spiders because they're really afraid of them. And you can usually tell the difference between whether it's a real fear or whether they're just like, uh, spiders, I'm going to go now. Because yeah. <laughs> and, and some people are like, you say, they say that and you're like, yeah, that is you are that is your fear. I'm, let me consume that for you. And of course I always consume it because I might be misjudging it. I'm there to channel their fear, whether, whatever I think of it, Mr. Nobody's there to eat their fear. That's what's really happening. Um, but uh, shoot, I totally lost track of what I'm was doing.
0: Oh, I, I was just th- throwing, throwing the ball at you with um, the sense of, of uh, a fan being, um, Oh yeah, well, I really appreciated your point about tending to yeah. uh, reality, con- tending to oh. complexity.
1: It was conditions of of magic, right? So like mm-hmm. Mr. Nobody being there with the prompt of I'll eat your fear. Some people will send something pretty shallow to it. And and again, you know, I don't want to disrespect anyone because I, the human, might be misinterpreting that. So of course I, I treat it seriously and do the yeah. do the eating ritual um but some people will hear that invitation and it will trigger something very deep in them and they will share something very important to them that they they needed to get out more than they realized and that is psychomagic and that is an experience that happened and you created the conditions for that knowing full well that it won't happen for everyone
0: Mm.
1: and that's fine um but here's the thing and this might be the magical experience for someone someone else might have a magical experience with some other character Someone else might not really get anything from it at all, and that's okay. And you, 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 have, to, you have to accept that these things that you put into the stream of complexity, of, of living people, cultures, whatever, may or may not trigger whatever it is you're hoping to trigger. Um, and, and you accept that, and, and you listen, and if, you, if you're if you going to keep doing things, you, you come back to be like, all right, well, I'll, I'll try to facilitate the next set of conditions that I think might help um but again it may or may not and we're not trying to force that to help if it doesn't then listen to what that is you know Mm -hmm. maybe it's because the person's afraid of skeletons and you're wearing a giant skull okay that that person requires different conditions let's (laughs) let's accept that and go with it um and and I think we can we can actually kind of loop this back into the sense making if you want to do that. Or if you had something else you wanted to ask, let's let's.
0: No, please do. Yeah, please do. I, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I, because I, I feel like like with the sense making, it is a little bit more of of I'm going to try to make sense of that. So first of all, the language makes sense. You're already you're already pushing and imposing on that, mm-hmm. right? I, there's a thing that doesn't make sense. I'm going to change. I'm going to make sense over it um and that is very different from facilitating potential magic right like it's kind of the difference between going in and being like all right what are your fears oh you don't know okay well what about in this direction well what about in that direction it's like you mm-hmm. run our, our questionnaire and like okay oh yeah you really do you really are afraid of spiders all right let's do a ritual and i'll eat the spiders okay like <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like all right now you're you're out of the magic then like the magic is gone any magic that might have been there is not there you're just like oh my god i just filled out a questionnaire what what am i doing i don't that's rarely a magical experience for people i'm i'm sure we can come up with an example but um
0: yeah yeah what's what's so interesting about this i'm just sort of drawing a connection with um something from so so part of my work right now I'm, i'm working on the the new book and uh a lot of it has to do with like how do we imagine social transformation or these sort of meta constructive histories about how we're evolving or can we rework those maps that so that they aren't really like that but they're attempting to be more descriptive and relational yeah. with like with complexity and try to respect and as you say tend to i really appreciate that that phrasing because it, it, there's an image of um more of the kind of um you know what they call um uh, traditional ecological knowledge tech, uh, sort of like indigenous practices of like land custodialship that Tyson young Porter mm-hmm. talks about as well, that there's a tending to living things, right? So ideas become in service to aliveness rather than yeah. something that you go in and, and, and you impose something static upon that living dynamic system, but actually ideas can work with aliveness right. if they're the appropriate size or the appropriate, um, application that's not too imposing on, on things, right? So I, I find that to be a very interesting and also difficult and tricky, uh, balance. Um, but I was thinking of Ursula K. Le Guin's essay, uh, California as a non-Euclidean or a very cold place to be. I've always messed up the title, but it's this beautiful long essay basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, utopia and the sense of progress and history has always been this march forward, right? Imposing yeah. ourselves upon reshaping tomorrow, building it with, that sort of Apollonic or Zeus like masculine approach, right? Yeah. And her suggestion, suggestion is that we do a utopian rather than a utopian, just a sort of a playful mm-hmm. reversal or sub, you know. Yeah. And the way she describes it is be very indirect. There's no way directly to progress or the future. You have to be indirect. You have to be hidden. You have to be dark. You have all the things that yin is associated with. And in yeah. some ways, I'm hearing echoes of that in, in the way. You're talking about, and Nora is talking about a phonopoesis and in the warm data approach. So, yeah. so, maybe, you know, in our kind of meandering conversation, equally perhaps yin in that sense, like there, there's an indirect way we're answering that question about, you know, what are those tensions between a lot of the sense makers and meta theorists and what we're feeling into that is missing? That's not yeah. merely the kind of poetic dressing on 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 the meal or the plate or you know like mm-hmm. um, the way an essay has a poem at the beginning of it you know just as a kind mm-hmm. of adornment we're not saying that you know there's something more integral to this approach to thinking yeah. in general and, and being in the world in general that it that that might be kind of missing in this whole
1: equation so yeah yeah and I think I think it all comes back to to the experiential approach, right? So in, instead of looking at the, the external thing where we're, we're either extracting from, extracting sense from or imposing sense on, right? We want to experience and participate something which may or may not make sense. I mean, the Mystic Midway is a bunch of people in magical weird costumes prompting you for stuff. Like, I, I'm not sure how in an analytical way that makes sense in like, the first time Scott told me about it, I was like, "Okay, is this really gonna work?" I'll trust you because I know you've done some cool stuff. And I got it. I'm like, "Oh, actually, yeah, this totally works. This totally." I have no idea. And I was just, that was when I was like, "All right, I gotta, I gotta pay attention to what's going on here, and I have to get deeper into this." Um, uh, and and experiencing things together, right? Like in terms of affecting cultural change, I think rather than going at like I don't know, anti-racism or something. I mean, not to dismiss the importance of that, it's very important, but but like if you've got if you've got people butting heads against that, if you can step aside from that for a while, have an experience together that may not have anything obviously to do with race or racism or anti-racism or any of, of that sort of thing, but have some sort of significant experience together, whatever that is. Um, and I wanna I wanna touch a little bit on on. TikTok and and what I'm thinking of as, as experiential memes. Um, uh, if you can have some sort of experience together, then, like, okay, now you've built a bit of a connection. Mm-hmm. And so now you've put something into that stream where you may have insidious or a phonopoetic processes, but you put something in that is hopefully more conducive to a phonopoetic process. And maybe eventually when that person comes around and, and encounters anti racism ideas, they might think. I mean, maybe it's as simple as like, well, that last person that I kind of disagreed with about this wasn't a total asshole, so maybe I'll give it a little more thought. It could be that simple. Um, maybe it's maybe there needs to be a lot more, but but you know, finding some way to connect through experience. Um, I mean. We don't ask people's politics when they show up as guests in a Mystic Midway show, and like in San Francisco, they're probably the we done shows somewhere. We did a big show in Vegas once, and uh, at a a festival there, and and you know there were tourists here from who knows where. So it's like, um, you know that that stuff doesn't have anything to do with whether you can have a magical experience with these Mm -hmm. characters in this environment, Um, and and just. It gets a little bit back to if we want to look at the at the developmental theory, at like Gravesian theory, it gets back to tending to those very early early stages that are so important. Um, you know, of, of basically your 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 very basic physical intuitive sense of safety and survival, and then your your fundamental cultural stories that are your shared way of looking at the world. Right. Those are the first, those are essentially the first two stages in 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 my view. So beige and purple in, in standard spiral dynamics colors. Um and and it it's it's like it's 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 kind of uh you know re-emphasizing and rehydrating that layer of our experience. Mm-hmm. Um and this is how I like using developmental theory now. It's more like, oh, okay, well, here's kind of an area where we can concentrate on rather than being like, are you 50% purple and 30% red? And I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, that's not even actually how it works. They're not, they don't add up to 100%. They overlap and all this stuff. So um, it's, it's actually a very complex theory. But um, yeah, so it's it's like shoring up those those more, those those kind of deeper intuitive subconscious levels. As opposed to trying to rationally argue down your disagreement, which mm-hmm. would fit up at at like the orange, um, you know, much more mental modernist rational layer. Um, and and you need those discussions too, but we're not doing great at having those discussions right now. I think that's fairly no. safe to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly we are missing some prerequisites to even get to that part. And, and I, and I think that's where we need to be, be focusing on. So that kind of inverts the sense making a bit and says, let's have experiences. Let's not worry about solving what's right in front of us. Let's, let's go off and do some stuff and, and see if we feel more human together after that. Um, and maybe that starts to create some space. Where eventually we can come back and engage with what was in front of us, mm-hmm. um, but you have to create that space, right?
0: Yeah, you do, and, and that's sort of the, um, I think the challenge with so much of this work uh, that there's there's a desire to to go at directly the meta crisis, like direct applications. How do we scale the solutions? Right? right. Um, can I map it? <laughs> yeah, let's let's map all of the possibilities and and therefore coordinate all of those factors, yeah. and then use that coordinated meta system to tackle directly the meta crisis. Or yeah. maybe there's room for indirectness, but it's sort of like it, it's it's a sort of I don't know. Um, but it's also been or, the map somewhere. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's it, subordinate
0: it's somewhere in the map it's acknowledged uh-huh. there's like some some um acknowledgement toward it or like a symbolic you know um hat tip towards mm-hmm. the yin approaches or the indirect approaches but not as much of a direct yeah hat tip <laughs> 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 uh for folks who are just listening you, you literally picked up the what is it the fail hat and uh, that was the uh, hat. God, rewards failures hat and sorry Perfect. So there's a lot of that, right? Um, but but there's there's a, again, you mentioned systems of control. I find it interesting that there's not a a willingness to actually give up the wheel, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, okay, that there's a place for that in this machine that we're designing for the future, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get to drive, right? Like it, yeah. it gets the backseat or it gets the trunk or it gets some right. kind of like bumper sticker, but it's not going to drive things into the future. Um, and we're kind of... I mean, we're what we're asking for, it seems like um, is, is a fairly big ask, which is yeah. let go of the wheel yeah. and <laughs> and let's not go down the road. actually, let's turn off the road for a bit. Yeah. Um, and how do we get how do we get to the future roundabout or sideways, right? Or like, uh, like we've been talking about in the mutations community, like Gepser's phrase of like back leaps into the future. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, what does that look like? And how does that feed in a very indirect? Um, hidden uh, afanopoiesis sort of way, how does that lead to the emergence of second tier, integral consciousness, whatever you want to call it, planetary culture? Because yeah. like you're saying, it seems to me, the only way forward is really this indirect way, like of actually yeah. kind of meeting and connecting with each other again. And, yeah. and that seems to be part of the problem too. It's like, we're so decontextualized. We're so in the head all the time that- yeah like it's a fairly radical move to kind of just go in reverse or go sideways yeah. or just stop. Yeah. Um, so there's something in there.
1: That's yeah. Thing. And, um, what was I going to say Something in, in, in Benjamin, I mean, caveat, caveat magister is the pen name there. Um, uh, in, in, in caveat's book, um, yeah. Oh, no, I lost, lost what I was going to say. So we were talking about the the leap back to the future. We are talking about um, kind of the, the connection. Now I've totally forgotten what I was going to say.
0: Mm. Back into the invisible then. <laughs> the
1: uh, invisible. Oh, oh. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it is all about... I'm just coming back to the experiential thing. I, I had something and I've lost
0: it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all good. I I, I just, uh, I'm beginning to appreciate this sense of um, ironically coherence, like between um, what you've been working on and, and how you've been describing your journey on, on your website, which I'll, I'll mm-hmm. link to you in the show notes. Um, uh, the great stage debate, which really brought all this up with Nora a few months back. Yeah and and now like kind of moving into interestingly i feel like there's been a shift at least in our in our area of the liminal web of mm-hmm. articulating something that's complementary or something that is um difficult to voice but is has been sort of missing from the territory for a bit yeah. um yeah. so i find this sort of constructive upon a poetic mm-hmm. i don't know how we would say it exactly describe it using that word, but this constructive emergent process of like articulating a different sort of integrality or big picture thinking or different ways to go meta seem to be um, having more voice, right? Uh, and having more coherence in terms of like, I get what you're saying, I get what Nora's saying. I feel yeah. like there's a connection with like what Le Guin was writing about
1: mm-hmm. in decades ago now. Yeah. I, re- I remember what it was. Um, So, yeah, in the book, Hayat talks about for creating these psychomagical experiences, because that that is what the book is about. It's not just a history of what's gone on here. There's plenty of stories told, but it's about like, how can you create these yourself Mm. if you want to do these? How can you have these experiences? How can you facilitate these experiences? And he talks a lot about kind of nudging people out of their regular experience of the world. Right. And like with the Mystic Midway, we do this through the characters and the costumes and the sets and like you walk into the space and like obviously there's something a little odd going on here. It's like you don't you don't have a script for this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, And he talks about another thing where like uh, some people went out onto the streets in in San Francisco and like there was like a protest or or a rally or something, but like they're wearing a sandwich board, but it was blank and they were handing out blank flyers. And I can't remember what else was going on in there. But like you ran into this thing, and you're like, OK, I know what it's doing, but there's nothing on here. Wait, what am I what am I supposed to do with the blank flyer? Oh, OK, well, now you're nudged out of your daily routine. And if you proceed through this zone where other things are happening, you might experience them differently than if you just, you know, if you came upon them directly. Right. So you use some technique of a surprising thing or or unusual costuming or setting or something else like that. And nudging people a little bit out of where they are is a way to then prime them to maybe connect in a way that they didn't expect to connect. Mm -hmm. Right. Because now they're not on; they're, they're off script. They don't know what they're doing necessarily. You want to keep it on script enough that they are, you know, not running away entirely, you know, In fear, but but you want to, yeah, you want to nudge it out, and that that helps rebuild something. And I think that's part of that indirect process of of like, yeah, we're trying to build connections. Um, So rather than going in and being like, all right, I'm gonna wire you to here and like that, it's like, all right, first I'm gonna I'm gonna as consensually as possible nudge you to be a little bit a little bit in a liminal moment here, and let's see what happens now. Like, before you kind of resolve back into the rest of your day, what, what, can, what can we do together here? What mm-hmm. can we as performers and, and you and you and you as, as, as guests, intentional or otherwise, have right here in this moment? And how can that, you know, do a little bit more weaving of, of connection that might then sustain actual change in the future, eventually? Well said.
0: I know we're coming up at the, over the hour mark here. So, so I'll just ask uh, Henry, where, where can folks find you and connect with you? Where's your website? Where where, where do they plug in online?
1: Uh, Yeah. So my website is apophany-epiphany.com. I assume we'll put that in a, in a, put a link on there somewhere instead of trying to, to spell it out. Apophany, by the way, is, like an apophany is is a is a false realization. So like an epiphany is a true realization. An apophony is you saw patterns and you thought they were meaningful and actually they're not. You just totally came up with that. So so the the thing when I was making that with all the diagram stuff, I'm like, am I am I seeing real patterns in this diagram or am I totally making this up? Um, uh, I have also registered metamodernism, uh dot com and dot org. So I might add a site there at some point, but I haven't done anything with that yet. Uh, but yeah, that's my site. You can sign up either for your paid, and um, uh, there's plenty of, of free content there. And I will be putting out a major article on hella metamodernism in the near future. It's, it's coming along. Um, there's a preview article up there for paid uh, subscribers right now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the full one's coming out soon. And my friend, Naomi Most, who I mentioned before, who got me into Spiral Dynamics, um, she's co-hosted one or two of the Future Fossil Fossils podcast with, with Michael. Um, she's working on a element of modernism manifesto, so she'll, she's working on the short form, and I'm working on the long form, so we'll have that at All some right. point.
0: We're going to have to have you both on mutations to talk about that once it's all coming together. That sounds really exciting.
1: Uh, I think yeah. it will be. Thank you.
0: All right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Henry. Thanks for joining us on Mutations. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you again back soon uh, to talk more about this because I feel like there's just so much more we can unpack, um, especially about this latter part and what this all means as a, as a little bookmark for the future, what yeah. this all means, right? And I'll, I'm very excited to see how um, the Hella Metamodern essay um, unpacks this and unfolds, but what this all means yeah. for meta theory, right? How does how do yeah. these experiential practices, relational practices, um, change the way we can think about meta theoretical concepts and social transformation and yeah
1: cetera, so. and. And the potential, just one, one thing to throw in just for, as a, again, another future bookmark, the potential with TikTok for experiential means, right? Because yes. with things like TikTok challenges and duets, people are doing things in response to a viral idea. It's not just, oh, here's my cute cat picture with a caption and I'm going to share that, which I mean, cool. That's a, that's a lot of information that goes around this little image, but like now you can actually set something out and, and encourage people to do that with you in a sense. And it's like, oh wow, that's so so powerful. Yeah. Um, and I'm practically TikTok illiterate still, but I'm very excited <laughs> by the potential of that medium to like actually start putting experiences out in a way that people can join in somehow and yeah. reflect back. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's let's definitely talk about those. <laughs> but just yeah. those two things, right? That's at least two more conversations. Right. Um, <laughs> I <didn't think> so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Henry. But it was uh, it was a pleasure and. uh We'll talk again soon yeah
1: thank you thank you for having me it was wonderful
0: awesome thanks